you can see the title. It says, The Christmas Story. Um, how often have you heard the Christmas story? I know when I was growing up, all my life I've heard the Christmas story, and it was always pretty simple that God sent Jesus to be born in Bethlehem to a virgin named Mary. There was no room in the inn, so they had to go to a stable, and he was born in this stable. And at this stable, he was placed in a manger, and the shepherds came. Angels sang glory to God in the highest, and and the shepherds came, and Sometimes I heard that there was one shepherd with the sheep around his neck. He carried him that way. And then I heard that there was a shepherd and his little boy that came with a couple lambs. And then, you know, the wise men showed up. Well, as I was preparing this, I thought, you know, I'm curious. You know, when I was younger and I was in school, in elementary school, and yeah, I went to a public school, Everybody knew the Christmas story. Everybody knew it. In fact, our Christmas plays were all about the birth of Jesus Christ, and we'd dress up like shepherds and wise men and angels, and, and we would have our Christmas plays at school, and it, we sang all those songs, Way in a Manger, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, and End with Christmas Carols with the entire audience. That was normal when I was in school. And it was even that way through high school. It's not so normal anymore. In fact, most Christmas plays in a lot of public schools, they may have the Christmas carols like Jingle Bells, but less and less we hear Silent Night, Holy Night. Less and less we'll hear the song, O Little Town of Bethlehem. Very seldom will you hear, what child is this? It's more about the presents, the trees, the family time, and and all that is good. But what is the Christmas story? So I watched some videos. I thought, oh, this might be fun. I might share something. But I decided not to share them. But even though they were cute, some of them were cute, at the same time, it saddened my heart that less and less children, less and less people know the real Christmas story. And when these little kindergartners were asked about what was the Christmas story and who was Jesus, and some of them said God's son, and, and one said a kid, and they said, where, where was this child, where was Jesus born? And one child sat on a farm, another one sat in a ranch, and another one sat in a stall with a horse. And then this one little boy, he says, he was born in a stable like a barn because there was no room in the inn. And when he was born in the middle of the night, the cow awoke and found him in the manger. Which is, you know, okay, and it's cute. But when they were asked who showed up, To visit the Christ child, one little boy said shepherds. Another little girl, she looked at the the nativity scene, and at the top of the roof of the stable was an angel. She pointed to the angel, and she goes, a fairy. A fairy came, flied down, and flied away. And then when they were asked about the wise men, I I really chuckled at this one. 
The one little girl looked and she saw the, the three wise men statues and she says, bandits. And another little boy looked and he goes, oh, that's easy, the three amigos. And then another little boy got very serious and he says, all the people that were never allowed to go to church came to see Jesus. I thought, wow. Wow. What is this Christmas story? What is it? What is it really? What are we missing? It's not just something to make you feel warm and fuzzy. Oh, the Christ child was born. There are so many different religions in the world that they look at Christianity as just another religion. But it's not. It's more than that. It's the only belief that believes in a living God that sent His only begotten Son into the world. Why? To save us. Because we needed a Savior. So I decided to dig deeper. And what is the Christmas story? If you would like to turn into your Bible, we're going to take a look at Matthew and in Luke. And I don't have those scriptures up on the PowerPoint, but I'd like you to get ready to go there. Our first step is going to be looking at prophecy first. Before we do that, I need to pray. Oh Lord, our Heavenly Father, as we are before you right now and in your holy presence, Lord God, I ask that you open all of our hearts and all of our minds to the real Christmas story. Help us to see the truth behind all of the stuff that goes on around us this time of year. Help us to see through all of it and see who your son Jesus really is and find out why he really came. Help us this day, Lord, to know the truth behind the Christmas story. In Jesus' name, amen. Way back in the Bible, in Isaiah, and there are other scriptures throughout the Old Testament that give the prophecy about the birth of Christ. And Isaiah 7:14 said, "Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel." And then again in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, "For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given." And the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Micah chapter 5 tells us in verses 3 and 4, Therefore he shall give them up, I'm sorry, verse 2, Looked at the wrong spot. Five, Micah 5.2 But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, 
Though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. So it was prophesied through Isaiah and Micah and Jeremiah and even Daniel made reference to the birth of this Savior, who was Jesus, Jesus Christ. But you know, 400 years of silence took place. After the last book in the Old Testament, Malachi, was written, before Matthew came on the scene, there was 400 years of silence. There were no more prophecies being told. It was a silent time. Except what the prophets had already shared was being passed down from generation to generation to generation. So they weren't shut up. They were still shared. But there wasn't any new prophecies taking place during that time. And if you turn to Luke, the first chapter. Now, I go back and forth here between... I can't get it to move forward. There we go. Hit the right button. It works. (laughs) If we look at at Luke, you'll see on the screen, I have the scriptures of where you can find the Christmas story. We have Luke, Matthew, Luke, and Matthew. And you might wonder, why are we going back and forth? Well, Luke gives a lot more detail. However, Luke left some things out that Matthew included. And I'm going in the order that these things took place. So if we look first at Luke verses 26 through 56, that will give us the beginning. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. And the angel said to her, Mary, do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maid servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to the city of Judah 
and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and then returned to her house. Flip back to Matthew chapter 1. And as the angel of the Lord appeared to Mary, and Mary went forth and did what she was told, the angel also appeared to Joseph. Verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." So all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgins shall bring forth a child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Go back to Luke chapter 2. Starting with verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. 
So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and lied him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in that same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And so it was, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning the child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen as it was told to them. Turn back to Matthew chapter 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen a star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me, that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I have to go back there. How many nativity scenes do we see with the wise men at the stable with an infant baby? Now, according to what I just read, the wise men look back up there. In verse 11, and when they had come into the house. Now, if I'm thinking correctly, a stable and a house are two different things. 
Now, unless Joseph, even though we know he was a carpenter, unless he was really fast at building and turning a stable that had animals and hay and the other things that animals do in the barn in that stable, and he was really quick and built a house all in one night, the night Jesus was born, and here come the wise men far from the east. I had one student tell me one time that the wise men showed up that night Jesus was born because camels travel at 268 miles per hour. And that's how they got there. But according to God's word, they weren't there when Jesus was a baby. The nativity scenes we see all over the place are false. They're false. What difference does it make though, right? Does it matter if the wise men were there when Jesus was an infant or when he was a child? Does it really matter? Well, Jesus says that we should know the truth and the truth would set us free. So there's truth. We take for granted so much. We can pass stories down from generation to generation and lo and behold, something's added, something's taken away, something's misunderstood. But when we get the actual book and we read the story in writing, we can find out, oh, this is how it really is. Well, this is how it really is. The wise men weren't there the night Jesus was born. They saw the star. They came from afar. They followed that star. And when it stopped, it wasn't over a stable. It was over a house. So they saw that star in verse 10, and they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother and flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. More proof that the wise men didn't see Jesus as an infant. The wise men had been watching that star for at least two years, traveling, following that star to go see where is this Christ child. How do we know that? If that were not so, then King Herod would have not had to put to death children ages two years old and younger. He could have just said, kill all the babies. Under one year of age, that ought to do it. He didn't want a king to come and replace him that was not of his bloodline. So why not kill them all? Two years old and younger. Verse 17, 
Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted, because they are no more. Now when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose, took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee. And he came and dwelt in the city of Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets. He is called a Nazarene. There's the story of Christmas, or the Christmas story. But there's more to it. There's more to it. Why was Jesus born? Why was he placed in a manger? What's the significance of all of this? So we can say, yeah, Jesus was born. Galatians 1, 3b, the second part of um, verse 3, and verse 4 in Galatians says, Our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. He was sent as part of God's will to deliver us from our sins. I think back at what Mary said in Luke, in her her song or her saying that started in Luke um, chapter 1 with verse 46, And she said, how my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoice in God, my Savior, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. She knew. She knew. She wasn't worthy of all that was going on. And guess what? We aren't either. In our own being, in our own self, as human beings, we are not worthy of what God has chosen to give us. But look, in Luke chapter 1, verse 30, and the angel said, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Did you get that? You! You, every one of you, have found favor with God. And even in our lowest state, even when we were living such an ungodly, sinful life and partaking of the ways of this world, God had mercy on you and on me. And He knew way back before the time of the prophets even existed, He knew that one day, He was going to have to do something so almighty and so unbelievable to save His creation. In Genesis, He tells us that we are made in the likeness of His image. What is that image? It's not the physical being. It's the ability to think. The ability to make decisions and make choices. The ability to do things, to make things, to fix things, to communicate with one another. That's the image of our Creator. 
And yet he found favor. He knew when he created mankind in his image that we were going to mess things up and we were going to mess it up big time. Look at our world today. It's pretty messed up. But God found favor, not just in Mary, to bring forth the Christ child in the form of a human baby and a human being, but He found favor with mankind. And He finds favor with you today. And He comes to each and every one of us in our lowest state. He says, I have something for you. I want you to carry my son. Mary carried Jesus in her womb for nine months. He was born the same way you and I were born. Did he get hurt? I'm sure he did. Because God's Word tells us that he suffered and he was tempted in every manner as we are, yet without sin. God took on the form of a human being and understands 100% what we face day in and day out. He understands why we make the sinful choices we have made in our life. And He says, now is the time. I'm choosing you, Mary. Now is the time that I have to do the most radical thing ever in the history of all creation. I have to give you my son. How many of you could give your child to someone else knowing that in giving them your child was going to one day be brutally beaten and killed to save that person's life? Could you do it? Could you give your own child away knowing what was going to happen to them? I don't know anyone that could do that other than God. And that's what God did. He said, Mary, how hard would that have been for God to look at the world and find favor in all the garbage that was going on and still find just a little bit of goodness in the hearts of mankind because God placed it there to begin with. But to say, I'm sending my son. And He's going to save the people from their sins. I'm making a way of escape for them. I'm going to be their deliverer through My Son, Jesus Christ. And the people can be delivered. And they will be forgiven of their sins if they will just carry, just accept My Son, Jesus, and what He represents and why I sent Him. God provided a way of escape. Escape from the destruction of sin. Paul tells us in Romans, shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? God forbid. That's why Christ died, so we don't have to stay in our sins any longer. And the only way we can stay away from sinning is through the blood of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit to direct us God's Word tells us there's no temptation that can overtake a man or a woman for that matter or a child or an adult that God can't stop from happening. But it's up to us 
There it is again, the image of God, to be able to make a choice. It's up to us to call on him and say, Jesus, help me not to give in to this temptation, because temptation is not sin. But when we give in to it and we partake of it and we do it, then it is sin. And with sin comes death, and with death comes destruction and eternal separation from Jesus Christ. And in all of that, God found favor in mankind. So much so that he sent his only son. He sent his only son. Jesus said in John 3:16 and 17, and most of you know this by heart, for God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He loved us that much. So Jesus was born to save us from our sins. Sounds simple enough, but there's more to it. Why was he placed in a manger? What is a manger? Basically, it's a feed trough. It's a long box filled with hay, and the animals go and they eat out of it. So you can imagine what's in that feed trough. Not just hay. The animals are eating out of it. You've got their slobber in there, too. And whatever else could possibly be in there, being in a stable. And that was the only place for Mary to lay God's son in a filthy, slobbered-on feed trough. She wrapped him up as best she could with what she had. And she laid the Son of God in a feed trough. Why? God's Word tells us why. John six forty-eight through 58 Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, not that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of this world. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink of His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on that last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. How do we eat and drink Jesus? That sounds kind of morbid. 
just to say that. How do we eat and how do we drink Jesus? Back in John, Jesus is still talking about this. John 6:35 Jesus said, "I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst." In verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. How do we eat and drink Jesus? First, we come to Jesus. We recognize our need for a Savior. We learn about Him through reading the Word of God, through hearing the Word of God. And we believe in Him. And to believe in Him means to commit to Him by applying God's Word to our life. Matthew 5, chapter 5, verse 6. Jesus said to them, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. John 4, 14 says, Jesus said this, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become to him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The bread of life, Jesus, was laid in a feed trough, a manger, symbolic of the fact that he has spiritual food for us. The animals ate the hay. We feast on God's Word. John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the, world became, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus Christ. When you see the nativity... And you see that babe lying in the manger like we have the manger right down there with the baby in the manger. It's more than just, oh, there was no room in the inn. There's a child named Jesus Christ that we celebrate at Christmas time. We celebrate his birth. He came to save us from our sins, but we have to take him in. We invite Him into our hearts to be our Lord and Savior, to forgive us of our sins, and we feast on His words. His words are life, and life everlasting, the bread of life. Give us this day our daily bread. Give me more of Jesus every single day. God, I want Him more. I've known through my life with my mistakes and my bad choices I have made that I am absolutely nothing without Jesus. And nothing else in this world matters but my relationship with Him. It doesn't matter what anyone else thinks of me. The only thing that matters is what God thinks of me and what He thinks of you and what He thinks of us is that He loves us so much. He doesn't want anybody to be lost.
In the only way we are not lost to a devil's hell for an eternity is by feasting on that child that was born and laid in a feed trough. We can't feast on Jesus. We cannot live that abundant life that He has for us and be filled with that living water running over like a fountain, the Spirit of God. We cannot receive the Holy Spirit without believing in Jesus Christ. And yeah, we can say, oh, I believe in Jesus and do nothing with Him. It doesn't work. We have to allow Him to work through us. To live so much in our life that we can walk in Walmart on its busiest day and be bumped into and still smile. And say, God bless you. We need to be so filled with Jesus Christ and His Holy Spirit that when someone wrongs us because they will, and they do, and they say things against us, it's not against you or me. It's against who's in us. If you've asked Jesus Christ in your life and someone wrongs you, they're wronging Jesus Christ. Don't allow the devil to fill you with bitterness or unforgiveness because the people who wrong us and say things against us to bring us down are saying it to the one who lives in us and that's Jesus Christ and God will take care of them. But His Word tells us, and as we feast on Jesus, we learn this. Jesus tells us we are to forgive those who wrong us. We are to love our neighbor as ourselves. We are to love unconditionally because God's love keeps no record of wrongs. It hopes, it forgives, it is kind. It's no records of wrongs. Yes, there are times when something's going to happen and you're going to feel like there is no way I can forgive that person for what they've done. There is absolutely no way. And Jesus says, unless you forgive them, I won't forgive you. Wow. When we feast on Jesus, we learn how to live our life. And when we feast on Jesus and we learn how to live our life, He promises us that we will have success. We will be more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ our Lord. Otherwise, we sit in misery. So think about this Christmas story. Think about it. God saw you before you were even created. And you found favor in God's eyes. So much so that He had to send His only begotten Son to experience everything that you have experienced. Emotionally, mentally, physically. He understands it all. And He came and died and rose on the third day to give each and every one of us victory over anything and everything that would hold us down. Feast on Jesus this Christmas. Seek Him more and more and more. He is the living God. He's not Buddha. He's not a statue that you go rub its belly and hope good things happen. 
He is the living God that you can go to any time, any place, anywhere, any moment, any situation and say, God, help me. Or sing His praises. Thank Him for what He's doing. Thank Him for things that you haven't even experienced yet. Because He's got them. He's going to bless you. Thank Him for what He's doing. And most importantly... Thank him for that child that was placed in the feed trough. That we can feast on him and have abundant life through Jesus Christ our Lord. would like you to stand and recite what is known as the Lord's Prayer with me. And when we get to that part, give us our daily bread. Know in your heart that that is referring to Jesus Christ. Our spiritual daily bread. And if we don't take in Jesus daily, we're going to have a rough road to go. And the more we take in Jesus, the more abundant life we have. And the more we are conquerors through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.